Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hi, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Today, we're joined by our friend and sometimes contributor, Jerry. Hi, all. hey oh. I think he said hi all, didn't he? Yes. He did, but, you know, <laughs> it reminded me of the Bushwhackers. Oh, God. <laughs> well, we've got our mandatory Bushwhackers reference in there. Do you remember the old wrestling, like, team? Like, hey-oh! Uh, no, I did not watch wrestling. Yeah, me either. Sorry, dude. Actually, I watched Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling back in the 80s. I watched Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling on Netflix. I heard that was actually pretty good. It is good. All right, this is the most banter we've ever had. <laughs> We're bantering it's like me. crazy. It's me. So yeah, today on the podcast, we are covering with Jerry Pathfinder Adventure Card Game, the new core set, sort of a uh, re-release revising of the system, although the old cards can still be used with it. And in our design discussion, we're going to talk about the limits that sometimes we place on leveling systems. So Peter, why don't you tell us a bit about the overall theme of Pathfinder, although it is a bit generic in some ways. Well, yeah, I think when people talk about generic fantasy, Pathfinder is probably one of the first things that's going to come to most people's minds. Pathfinder Adventure Card Game is based on the Pathfinder role-playing game, which was really based on Dungeons & Dragons. So it is a very generic Dungeons & Dragons setting, and then they have different adventures that sprout from there. And there were older sets, as Mike had said earlier, but we are going to mostly focus on the new set today which is distributed a little differently than the old ones. Now you're going to just have to buy one core set, and that's mostly what we're going to be covering, but then they'll have expansion packs. So before, you had to buy a new core set every time you bought in, but now you're just buying one core set, and you just have to buy the extra cards. Whereas before, you had to buy a core set and extra cards to go with that core set every time you wanted a new adventure, so... Yeah, and it's even, it's even worse than that because they would have little mini expansions kind of like the Fantasy Flight LCG model. So you'd buy the core set and then like, uh, I think, uh, five, four or five expansion packs to like finish out the campaign. Now it's just a single expansion purchase and you have everything you need for an entire campaign. Well, yeah, and they used to have character packs that you could buy too. So They still, they still like... have those. They, they're, they're still, <laughs> I don't think they're released yet, but they're definitely advertising it all over the packaging. So they're certainly still going to have like little extra packs if you want to spend little bits of money as much as you can. Yeah, one of the interesting things about it is each one of these adventure packs or sets that they come out with is based on a series of adventures that they published for the role-playing game in the past. So they'd have these things called adventure paths, which are like a series of six books that sort of are an entire role-playing campaign, and those have been adapted into the card game. So if you've played that adventure path in Pathfinder, the role-playing game, you will be familiar with what's going on in the card game. Cool. Although now, thank God, they've actually added some (laughs) storyline. Because in the old uh, version, you would just play the card game and have no idea what the heck was going on, but now they actually have like some narrative you can read in between missions to understand how it connects to that adventure path. But before we get too much into the review, Mike, why don't you go over how the game plays pretty quickly? So basically the core mechanics are the same as in the original version. They have done some refinements, I would say, and some changes, but it's still the same basic thing. You have a deck that you build with limitations based on the character you choose. Like you can have this many weapons and this many armor cards. And uh, each of these is cards that you can play. 
Uh, weapons will add damage and attack. Armor will stop damage. Spells can heal. All that kind of stuff you might expect in a D&D themed adventure. But basically you have cards in your hand and you'll explore one card a turn. There's all these locations set out where you've shuffled these cards in and you'll flip over the top card of the location you're at. If it's a bad card called a Bane, you try to kill it or defeat it. If it's a good card called a Boon, you try to gain it and add it to your deck. So you're sort of like kind of deck building, although not that often, but you're adding cards to your deck and like sort of leveling up in that way. And in most scenarios, what you're trying to do is track down a uh, villain at the locations and basically close locations, which means either get rid of all the cards in them or uh, defeat like a little henchman card that's hiding in there until you can eventually lock down the villain, the strongest enemy in the game generally, and defeat them. Now, everything in the game is resolved using dice in a D&D-ish way. Although those who have played D&D or Pathfinder, that's a D20 system. It's all like rolling a D20 die to resolve your checks. Here you do a big mix of dice, more like a damage check in Dungeons & Dragons or Pathfinder. So you'll roll like two D4s and a D6 and play this card to add a D8. Somebody else will play a blessing on you to add a D10. And uh, you roll all of those, total them up, and try to reach some kind of target value. And that's uh, basically it. You'll level up as you go along. It's all campaign-based. You're playing uh, in the core set. It's a 10-mission campaign to complete the whole thing. If you buy the first official expansion, which is Curse of the Crimson Throne, I think that's a a 24 or 25-mission campaign. But yeah, so it's campaign-based play with uh, slowly leveling up your cards and leveling up your character and just a whole, whole bunch of dice rolling. Nice. All right. Well, if you're just joining us for the first time, welcome. It's good to have a normal episode again for us. If you've listened to the last few, we've kind of had them split and done interviews and things like that. So we're kind of getting back to the basics here. So for those of you who don't know, we do our reviews as a top five list, starting with number five, which we think is the least important thing you need to know about the game, and going all the way to number one, which we think is the most important thing you need to know about the game. So Jerry is our guest slash third chair for this week. What's your number five thing about Pathfinder Adventure card game? Well, my number five is simply that this is just a new edition of the Pathfinder game. So if you're expecting something wildly different, it's not here. There's been some refinements to the system. There's some new card effects. All the cards have been redesigned, so they're a little bit easier to see and, uh, and to read. But ultimately, it's the same game. So that has a bonus in that it is backwards compatible with the previous version but it's not anything radically different. Yeah, and there are some things that I wish they had like gone bigger in their changes, but I get that you don't want to totally alienate your previous audience and make them feel like you've invalidated their collection, so I guess they were in kind of a bind. Yep, no, totally agree. That wasn't on my list, but maybe should have been. All right, Mike, what's your number five? So mine is uh, a con, and that's the setup and teardown of the game. And this is not something I usually focus on, but I think it is a bigger problem here. And not big enough to be higher on my list, but still pretty annoying. The big uh, culprit here uh, is the location decks. In the standard play, those will have like 10, 11, or 12 cards in them. If you play the short game, they'll have a few less. But uh, you have to take these very varied uh, groups of decks. I think it's like seven or eight card decks, maybe even nine. And you have to count out like two cards from this deck and three cards from this deck and one card from that deck. Put them all together. Then you got to take some henchmen and villains and shuffle them together and put one on each location. Maybe add some blessings too or some other cards based on the uh, scenario you're playing. Then you got to shuffle each location separately. And then when you're finished, you got to separate out all those cards and put them back in their decks and uh, repeat all over again. Shuffle those ten decks between each play. 
Now, there are ways to shorten this up. There are ways to make it faster. I use one of those uh, big, like, plastic card holders to keep all the decks in ready access. And I don't shuffle between uh, plays. I just put the used cards to the back and draw from the front. So you can kind of, like, cheat around it and make things go faster. But generally speaking, the game takes a long time, a much longer time to play than it should, just because you're spending a lot of time setting up and tearing it down. Yeah, that's another good one. Another one not on my list. So guys, we're guaranteed to have at least seven unique things this week because uh, (laughs) those two weren't on my list at all. My number five, like most of the things on my list, is a mixed. I think we're going to get a lot of mixed out of me today. So my number five is that the theme is everywhere, yet it is nowhere in this game. (laughs) And what I mean by that is... There's awesome artwork and, you know, I really like seeing what the different creatures look like and each creature has its own stat and it varies in minor ways. But really, at the end of the day, you are doing the same thing over and over. Mike said there are boons and banes, and that's true. And when you fail to kill a bane, it does some damage to you and then you shuffle it back in. And if you fail to get a boon, you just discard it. But you're really just looking at whatever stat it tells you to look up and trying to see what modifiers you can add to it. And there are lots of different cards that do that. But again, a weapon modifier is the exact same as an ally modifier, which is the exact same as pretty much any other modifier in the game. You're just adding more dice to your roll. So the resolution system doesn't make different things I'm doing feel any different. But when you look at the cards, they're really cool. I mean, you get to see all the cool stuff and you get to add bows to your deck and you get to add, you know, armor to your deck and you get to add cool things. So I really like how the theme is visually represented. But again, everything kind of feels the same in gameplay as far as theme goes. Like, I don't feel like a bow feels different than a sword. Yeah, to kind of add on to that, I was very excited when I saw that the game had this new theme. By the way, this was like sort of an honorable mention for me. But I was excited when I saw the game had theme now because I felt like there was literally none in the old version. And now I know the context of what I'm doing, but I still don't feel like I'm doing anything thematic while I'm playing the game. You know, like I know I'm hunting down this bandit leader now, but I'm still just doing the same dice rolling and flipping cards. So they did a better effort, but it still has or doesn't hold a candle to Arkham Horror the card game or something like that. All right, Jerry, what's your number four? So you guys are kind of stealing my thunder here, but uh, my uh, number four was that the game is very, very fiddly. And this is building off of Mike's. It's a pain to set up and tear down, but even playing the game is extremely fiddly. So you'll have to make a check, and the check will involve, you know, you roll a D12 or whatever, and then you have a blessing, and you add another D12, or you use a weapon, and then you add a D4. But then you can, you know, discard that weapon and add another D4, and pretty soon you're trying to figure out, you know, how many dice do you actually roll when you have, you know, a handful of six dice or something, trying to meet the target number, and it's it's just very, very fiddly in the actual play of the game. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more with that. Yeah, and my number four kind of relates to that, and that's uh, a mix, which is the basic dice resolution of the game. On the negative side, it can take a long time to track down the dice, it can feel fiddly, It's definitely worse in larger player count games because it is just kind of really boring downtime while somebody else carefully calculates like all the dice they have and all that kind of stuff. The only reason it's a mix for me and not a full con is because 
especially playing solo, but even playing multiplayer, I do get a thrill out of gathering huge numbers of dice together and just destroying a monster and like seeing all my cool bonuses add up and and working my cards in a fun way to get the best combo to get the best roll possible. I have a visceral thrill out of that that I don't know if everyone will get. But yeah, dice rolling is heavy in this game. And again, like especially I haven't played it for a player yet, but if I played it for or... uh, or more, God help me. Uh, I do not think it would be fun to just sit there and watch someone fiddle with their dice pool for ten minutes. And ironically, that rolls right into my number four. But um, my number four is the <laughs> dice leveling system. That was like a Joker nade. I let it go, and like ten seconds later, and you guys <laughs> No, no, no. We, we we laughed uproariously. All right. So my number four is the dice leveling system. So I actually like this. This is a little bit more of a pro for me. And I guess you're not actually leveling up, although you do level up. Well, all right. So you do level up. And when you level up, you go from a D4 to a D6 or a D6 to a D8 or a D8 to a D12, whatever. I just like how your different skills are represented by different levels of dice. And I guess that's a holdover from Pathfinder and in some cases even D&D. So I just like that system in general because you still have a chance of failing, but your average roll is going to be higher. So I don't know. I think it's neat rather than just adding a bunch of modifiers. Now, don't get me wrong. They have that as well. We're adding plus one, plus two, plus three, whatever. But I do like how the leveling just makes the die on average higher, but doesn't guarantee successes a lot of times. And as Mike said, I love grabbing handfuls of dice. It's annoying to get there, but once you do pick them up and roll them, that, that's always fun for me. So that's my number four, the dice leveling system that they have. All right, Jerry, you're number three. So uh, my number three is a, is a pro, although I can't really explain why. And it's like Mike said, it's, the, it's a theme. The theme, you know, if you sit and think about it, is really just silly. I mean, you have a bunch of locations that have cards in it, and you're just going through a deck of cards. You know, how is that thematic? But I remember when I first played this game, it was back when it had first come out. uh, I think, Peter, you and I played it at at a convention. And I think we were both like, wow, this game is great. And it really does feel like you're adventuring and discovering things, even though it is just pulling cards, gather your dice pool, and try to meet a target number no matter what it is. But something I like, especially with the new edition, is like Mike said, the narrative is much better than it was uh, in the original. Now, the original was still pretty thematic for me because I was familiar with the adventure paths that they were based on, so I understood the story going into it, but the game itself didn't really have too much of it. The new edition has a whole page of story, I think, that you read beforehand that sort of sets the stage and, and explains what you're trying to do. So... I think they've improved the theme since the last version, and for some reason, I, I think it feels thematic when you're playing it. I'm glad to hear that. I don't get that as much, but again, I'm not as familiar with Pathfinder or the Adventure Paths. So maybe that makes some kind of a difference. Uh, my number three is my first pro, so here we go, pro pro. And that's the way you manipulate the cards in your deck. So they've got these keywords that they use, and most of these are ports from the uh, previous version of the game, But you uh, recharge cards by putting them underneath your deck, and they won't come around for a while. Now you uh, reload cards by putting them on top of your deck. You bury cards by putting them under your character card. They can't come back no matter what. And also, uh, the game has the mechanic, which is one of my favorite. I love these kind of resource systems where uh, every card you play is kind of a hit point lost because your character dies if you run out of cards completely and have to draw and don't have any left in your deck. So anytime you use a powerful effect, but you have to discard the card, you're kind of weakening yourself and not allowing yourself to have that effect available anymore. 
So between the kind of manipulation of where cards go and like putting cards back on top of your deck to try to get them next turn but not having them available for this turn, the whole idea of like getting hurt by discarding cards and by healing cards, you're actually pulling your cards back into your deck. I love all of that and... It's just a fun kind of resource management system that uh, has some clever card play in it. Even though in the end, the core mechanics are pretty basic, just play cards to add dice. It feels cooler and more involved and more engaging than that because of all the keywords and the stuff you can play around with. Yeah, that actually rolls right into my number three, although there's no dice this time. So no, but um, ha 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 ha. I got more of a laugh that time than the first time. So that's good. So my number three is the damage system. And I didn't cover every aspect because I don't love every aspect of the way the cards go, especially since a lot of the words like recharge and refresh are very similar to each other, and yet they are completely different effects. But the damage system in general, I like the fact that your health is your cards, and you start off with a different amount of health and actually even different hand sizes sometimes. And the bigger your hand size, the more you can do on your turn. But also, if you're discarding those cards to do stuff, you're hurting yourself in the process. Also, the more cards you have in your hand, when you take damage, you discard cards. So if my target number when I'm fighting something is a 14 and I roll a 10, that means I take four damage, meaning I discard cards until I've discarded four cards. Well, if you only have one card in your hand, it's not a problem. So the bigger hand size you have, sometimes the more cards you have to discard, which will get you hurt faster as well. So it's really kind of neat how they do that. I like when they use one resource for your health and they use that card pool for your health. Other games have done it as well. I always like it when games do that. So for me, that's probably a straight up pro. Although I do think the other fiddling with the deck system isn't always my favorite because there are so many different keywords that are associated with it. And I, you know, have a hard time keeping them straight in my head sometimes. All right, Jerry, what's your number two? So my number two is, is kind of a con for me and that's uh, the, the timer in the game. So the way the game works, and I think you guys covered different ways of balancing for multiple player counts in a co-op game. And the, the method that this has chosen is that there is a set number of cards and each player draws one of those cards at the beginning of their turn. And once that deck runs out, the game is over if they have not already completed the mission. So usually I think the default is like there's 30 cards. Well, if you're playing, you know, two player, that means each player gets 15 turns. But if you're playing three player, then it goes down to 10 turns. When you play with more players, the, the issue I have with it is the number of turns get lower. And there are some times when you're, you essentially have a wasted turn. So you might draw a card that requires a you know, a, a 10 intelligence roll, but you're rolling a D4 and you don't have anything in your hand that helps intelligence. Well, you know, you you just fail. I mean, that that's all there is to it. So if you're going to reduce the number of turns each player has, it's it's more important to make sure that each one of those turns is meaningful. And I've whenever I've played this, I've had instances where I've drawn a card and, you know, it's just a wasted turn. I can't possibly either get it or if, if it's a boon or pass the, the test if it's a bane. And that's a little bit frustrating to me. Yeah, and it is frustrating that they didn't change anything with the uh, Blessing deck. Now, they did change some things. They added this uh, hour mechanic and some other stuff. But the timing of the Blessing deck, because this has been an issue going back to the beginning of the game, that the 30-card Blessing deck isn't balanced well for different player counts. As Jerry noted, with two players, you get uh, 15 turns each. With uh, three players, you get 10 turns each, which seems like it should be even, so everything else should stay the same. But they add locations with every extra player you add. So you need to stretch fewer actions across more stuff. 
Now, to be fair, players have cards in their hand that let them explore another time. But in general, I think it's a pretty strong consensus that more players makes the game tougher and makes it more of a race against the clock. And they had the chance to kind of clarify that or at least give suggestions, like maybe take out this many cards for two players, add this many cards for four players. But they didn't do that at all. They give many suggestions, like specific suggestions, like use this many cards for other things in the game. But for the Blessing deck, they're like, use 30 or less or more, and we won't give you any idea or tell you what we playtested. <laughs> so it's, it's a little frustrating they didn't like provide any clarity to kind of address that uh, timing issue. And the one thing I'll add, which wasn't one of my points... That Blessing deck was always there, but they added these effects to it now, which makes it almost like an event deck. So it it adds a little bit more to each turn and differentiates each turn a little bit. Sometimes they're positive benefits, sometimes they're negatives. So I do like the way they've changed that event deck a little bit. Before, it used to matter just if you match the symbol, then you got to keep your card instead of discarding it. But now they've really done things to give them at least a little bit of flavor each and change up your turns a little bit from turn to turn. So I do like that change to the system, which we haven't really talked about before now. Yeah, it wasn't big enough to make my list, but that is definitely a positive change. I just think that still the Blessing deck is not the strongest thing overall. Uh, But going from Peter talking about variety into a lack of variety, let's get to my number two, the biggest con on my list. And that is uh, pretty similar to what Jerry said in number four, but the gameplay is very repetitive. And this might bother you massively. It might not be that big of a deal. I think it, again, will become more annoying the more players you have and the longer your games go. I've played this mostly with only two heroes and with the short game variant they've now introduced into the game. So my plays tend to be like 45 minutes. If it was more than that, I don't know how I'd feel about count up dice, roll dice, check a number. Count up dice, roll dice, check a number. And to be fair, like a lot of games have that. Uh, a lot of games we've reviewed recently have that. Legends Untold, one I enjoyed, is all just <laughs> roll dice and see what happens. But here, for some reason, the fact that like every card doesn't have any flavor text and you just flip card, roll dice, flip card, roll dice, it feels a little bit exacerbated and... Yeah, I can't take it for too long. I've I burned out on the game multiple times. I burned down it when I first played uh, Rise of the Rune Lords, and I burned out on it with the app. And so far, I haven't burned out on the core set. I'm enjoying this the most because they've given me a way to sh- tighten down the uh, time commitment for each game I play. But still, it's very repetitive, and it could just really get dull for you, potentially, depending on how you kind of deal with the experience. I'd even add on to that that it's it's even more repetitive than than that uh not only are you know you draw the card you see what the target number is but then you have to check the location card to see if there's any special abilities that affect that particular enemy type like some locations might be undead creatures or you know too harder you know add two to the target number and then plus there's abilities on the individual card itself so you have to spend a bit of time just to even figure out what the target number is and then you have to start figuring out how you know how many dice you're adding to your pool and whether you're discarding or just revealing or you know recharging or whatever so, you know, like I said, it, it's quite fiddly. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's repetition mixed with fiddliness, which is not a great combination. Yeah, well, to kind of pile on what you were just saying is they do have a new way of playing it, which is shorter or longer. So I do like the fact that you can tailor it to what you like. Maybe your group says, wow, it takes forever to build these location decks. I want the experience to be more epic, so I'm going to make a longer game. Or like us, maybe you just want to get it over with as soon as possible. And so we play the shorter game. I I can't imagine anybody actually wanting to make it longer. Somebody might, though. There are always groups, right? And 
that's one of the nice parts is that people can kind of tailor the experience to how they want it. Now, the one thing, as Mike had just mentioned, that is really annoying about it is there's literally zero guidance. So they give you guidance on how to make the game shorter, meaning take cards out of each of the decks so you have less cards per deck, but then they don't tell you how to shorten the game length with the number of turns you play. So it's just like, figure it out, take some cards out, add some cards in, whatever you want to do, which says to me that they probably didn't play test it at all, and they tested it at that 30 card, and they're like, yeah, people like this shorter game, and it won't be much of a challenge. It, it, it's weird that they basically put a rule in there that says, you figure out how long you think the game should be. It's like, well, wait a minute, aren't you supposed to figure that out for me? Isn't that why you're the designers of the game, and I'm just the player? But, uh, I mean, I don't mind tweaking things if I think it's unbalanced. But don't give me that as the rule. Like, hey, you have a short game. Here you go. And take some cards out if you want to. Yeah, and the weird thing is, like, the disconnect between the two. Because the size of the location is literally printed on every location card. Like, they spent time to figure out these values and print them on every component of the game. And then there is no specificity or, like, direction at all for anything else in terms of modifying the game length or the difficulty. Yeah, I was a little disappointed by that. I mean, if they're if they're going to give you a way to make it shorter or longer, they, they need to actually give you instructions on how to do it. I mean, remove cards from the deck. I, I could have figured that out with them that, without them telling me I could do it, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> Tell me how it would be balanced if I did that. I mean, that's what I'm paying for when I buy the game. All right, so let's get into our number ones. Jerry, what's your top thing? So my number one is actually a pro, and that is the actual hand management within the game it has a good degree of tension and is has a bunch of interesting decisions. So you'll have a hand of cards and some cards you can reveal, which means you just show and you get a bonus die, but you bring it right back into your hand. Or you could discard that card and get an even higher bonus. And when to do that, you know, when to just reveal it or when to discard it or recharge it or whatever is actually a a very interesting decision because you have to balance beating the test that you're currently against. Like you could probably spend enough cards to make sure almost you know, absolutely sure that you're going to pass this check, but then you're leaving yourself with not much for uh, any following checks on that same turn or even on a subsequent turn because you don't know what you're going to draw. So I find the decision-making on how to spend the cards in your hand is is actually very interesting, and I think it's really the the crux of the game. Yeah, I mean, that was my number three, so I, I totally agree. Something else was more important to me than that, but that was my other big pro for the game. My number one, though, which is also a pro is the leveling and progression in the game. And this is absolutely, you know, without any kind of uh, attempt to undersell it, this is what makes the game for me and keeps me coming back, even though I do clearly have some issues with the design. I love adding cards to my deck. I love seeing my deck kind of progress by one or two cards at a time throughout the game. It gives me sort of that thrill of a deck building game, but in a more permanent kind of meaningful way because that card is going to be in my deck for a long time. And this game does epic leveling better than almost anything else I've seen. The difference between like a level six card you're adding at the very tail end of a game where you're fighting like gods and giant dragons and things... That card is so much vastly more powerful than like the level zero you started with that this game gives. uh, And it's kind of like Pathfinder or Dungeons and Dragons itself. Like the difference between some weenie level one fighter that can be hit by like two goblins and fall down compared to like some level 20 person that's like invading uh, Valhalla and, you know, wielding amazing magical powers. It's huge. And I feel that here. And I think they've really done it well. 
The other thing that's really great about the leveling system, beyond just kind of the feeling of it, is that it is very consistent and very uh, rewarding. And they've actually done it better in the new core set than they did in the original. In the original, they would give you a meaningful level, not just some cards, but like a permanent bonus you mark on your character sheet, about once every two adventures. In the new version, they've cut that down to basically every adventure you're getting a cool upgrade to your character. You're adding cards every adventure. That's always been the case. So um, without much hyperbole, I can say I have more fun leveling my character and feel more of a progression for my character in Pathfinder Adventure card game than basically any other game I've played, including Dungeon Crawlers. So it's a huge selling point for the game for me. Uh, I'll compare it in both a positive and a negative way to like an addictive app game where maybe the gameplay is not the most amazing and innovative but the slow drip progression of like unlocking achievements and like adding new things to your game state is really addictive and fun now pathfinder adventure card game has more going on i do think the deck manipulation and card play like jerry said is really good but uh yeah just like that that slow drip of dopamine from getting new cards and getting new abilities unlocked totally hooks me every time it's why i'll play this game four or five times in a row despite being annoyed by the setup and other things oh yeah it's definitely a lot of fun there's even a lot of interesting decisions to make when you're when you're leveling so not only do you have to decide you know what upgrade you're going to take you have to go through your deck and decide which items that you've acquired are you keeping because if you keep an item you're replacing something else in your deck so you know some of the new cards might be really situational but are very powerful uh, versus something that's more, you know, universally useful. So you have to make interesting decisions on how you're going to build your deck for your next adventure. And not only that, but in this new game, the enemies level up with you as well. Now, in the old game, they used to replace old enemies with new ones. But now, even the enemies that stuck around that are lower level will get more powerful. They get more, you know, that, that target number you need to hit is higher based on the level of the mission that you're playing. So that's kind of neat, too, that the enemies are leveling with you as you are getting more and more powerful. So you'll need more powerful stuff to beat them. So I like how they did that. But that is not my number one. Well, hold on, Peter. To to be clear, that was in the original version of the game. Yeah, it was. They've just done it. They've done it more consistently here, and they've done it in a cleaner way. And now you've got this little number symbol next to the check you have to do that tells you immediately to add it. In the old one, it was like in a text box, and they didn't do it as often. So it's done way better here, but it did exist as a previous mechanic. All right. The other thing I want to get to, and I get to it in my final thoughts, is you know I haven't played much past level one stuff. So in any of the campaigns, I know, Mike, you've played it a lot further than me, but I always got frustrated in the past, and I've never really made it past the beginning, so I haven't seen a lot of that cool leveling stuff that you have. And, you know, after your number one, you know, I'm more interested in, in going further. But my number one, any guesses? Um, it's fiddly. Uh, wasted turns. No, Jerry's Jerry's on the right track there. Is It's text-heavy. Like... <laughs> Every card has, like, three or four sentences of text that you have to, like, figure out. Okay, I do this, and then I do this, and I can discard it for this, and I can recharge it for this, and I can do this and that. So I guess to some degree, yes, it's fiddly, and some people are going to love that. And like you guys said, it makes some of the tactical choices you make much more interesting, but you have to do that for, like, every card in your deck. And that I guess that's not exactly true. Like, some of them are easier and more straightforward than others, but there's a lot of text on each of these cards. And if I got six cards, each with, like, three choices on it, 
I don't want to be doing that every time. And this is very situational. This is very personal to me. Some people are going to love that stuff and they love like all the different choices that it provides. And to be fair, your deck doesn't change that often. So the more and more you play with the same character, the more you're going to get used to the cards that you have. Yes, you'll level one or two of them up a mission, but it's not like you have to remember or learn all these new cards every time you play. But I mean, these cards sometimes feel like they have more text than Gloomhaven cards, which are just like, you know, top says do this, bottom says do that. And they're all pretty straightforward. These are like, do this. And then you can also do this, or you can do this, or you can do this third thing. Like they just have a lot of options on them, which again, for some people is going to be a pro, but for me, it just, it didn't add enough. Like I, I wish that I felt like that mattered more. And for me, it was just a lot of text to add a D4. So I I will agree with everything you said there, but one of the things I did notice is if you read the card and you try to understand the theme, like you can understand what they're, what they were going for. So for example, I was playing the thief and there was a, um, essentially like a boomerang knife they called it a star knife or something. And it was different than a dagger that you would throw. So if you threw the dagger, for example, the, it was replicated by, or it was taking a thematically, it said, you know, discard this card because you threw the dagger, but this boomerang one instead of discarding it you'd recharge it so if you read through the card and you tried to match it to what the card represents it actually made a lot of thematic sense but it was a lot of investment in reading the card and trying to understand it just to add a d4 (laughs) yeah yeah this doesn't bother me at all I, i don't mind a lot of text and i agree with jerry that the effects are generally very thematic and also having i think played it more than either of you um things are pretty consistent like, yes, weapons might have minor variations, but, like, almost all the weapons will have pretty similar effects. Almost all the armors. Spells are the only things that really get drastically different. So I think the more you played, Peter, like you said, the less it would bother you. But certainly as a entry point, there's a lot to read. No question. Well, yeah, because I was going to recommend this as, like, a game you could play with anybody because it's pretty easy. I mean, you flip over a card and you do some stuff. But then I remembered all those cards with all the text on it. And I was like, gosh, if I was a new player to this and when I was a new player to this, it's just overwhelming and certainly not for new gamers. I think it would be very hard, even though gameplay is very simple. And I guess you could play open-handed. It wouldn't really matter that much. But, you know, this is a game I want to recommend for new gamers, but I can't because of this one factor here. All right, well, kind of, uh, Peter, you're kind of already starting off your final thoughts there. You want to continue? Yeah, I'll keep going. I think I'm probably the most negative than anybody on this game. For me, it's just a little too much. I get bored with it very easily. That doesn't happen often. I play a lot of games over and over again, and usually either I like it or I don't. This game has a very steep drop-off for me. Like, I'll play it after not playing it in a while, and I'm like, oh, that was fun. You know, it's something I kind of want to keep around and play one mission every month or one mission every six months or something like that. And eventually I'll get through the campaign. Uh, Unlike Mike, who wants to play it back to back. For me, I have fun playing it once. But then, like, if we played a second one or played it back to back weeks, I'm like, yeah, it wasn't as much fun this week. But then I'll put it down for a while and I'll play it again. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was fun. So for me, this is very hot and cold. And I do enjoy playing it. I You know, Mike's got me very interested with the level ups and just seeing what's at the higher levels. I just can't make myself play through that many games to get to those higher levels. So for me, it's a cautious recommend, but I think some people are going to love it. And I think some people are going to even feel, you know, more negative than me on it. Yeah, and it's a cautious recommend for me, not because I am cautious about it. I very much enjoy the game because the pros generally outweigh the cons pretty heavily. 
but I only enjoy the game if I can play it quickly, and I only enjoy the game if I can play it frequently enough to get that that fun hit from uh, from leveling up quickly and seeing the progression in real time. So to that end, if people are feeling like me about the game, I would recommend, uh, generally speaking, I think it's a really good game solo because you can just crank through it very quickly. You can even play a single character if you want to, although I think... Uh, two characters is better because they have uh, increased the cooperation in the new version slightly, so you can do more to help each other, and it's kind of fun to do the interplay between characters. But yeah, I think if you're going to play this solo, play it with like another person, or even a group of three, but uh, where you all have some time carved out, you can play a whole bunch at once, or you can play it pretty consistently every week, I think this could be a hit. But... I do think there are some drawbacks. I think uh, a great way to try it out is to try the official app. Now, it does not have all the new stuff from the core set, but like I said, the, the base rules are basically identical. If you like the app experience, then definitely the core set is better, has better rules, better card design, more interesting scenarios, better storyline. So if you like the card play, if you enjoy playing the app, which is kind of a cheap buy-in, then I would say definitely check out the core set, try it out. But again, if you're anything like me, try to make, you know, play on the short game, get to those next levels as quickly as possible, get the fun stuff in your brain, because if you if you play too long, I think the, the wrinkles are going to show and you're going to maybe kind of uh, lose your interest in the game. My feelings on this game are, it's a game that I like in theory more than in practice. So I like the theme, I really like the hand management, like I said, but when I'm actually playing the game, I find it way, way, way too fiddly and just way too mechanical in you know generating the dice pools and going through the cards and then the, the timer of the game uh, is somewhat off-putting to me but every once in a while i'll come back to it because i'll remember that oh i like this game in theory so I'll, I'll try it again and i end up with the same opinion so i will echo mike's recommendation for the app so um in preparation for the review i went back and played the app a bit more and you can get the entire first campaign for i think it's like 15 dollars full price now and that takes care of all the the fiddliness for you like it'll assemble the decks for you and you know the dice pools it it will generate for you so i found that to be a much better experience than actually playing the card game as far as whether i'd recommend it or not i think the game really would be appealing to people who enjoy the pathfinder role-playing game or dungeons and dragons in general because uh, it allows you to get at least most of the feel of going through one of those campaigns without having to, you know, have a game master and have somebody, you know, spend a bunch of time prepping and, you know, gathering everybody together to do a, a role-playing game session. Instead, you can just bring out this card game. You're getting the same storyline and you're getting some of the same feel uh, with much less investment. Yeah, I'm going to triple recommend the app as well. <laughs> I meant to mention that. I actually didn't write notes down, but that was like the first thing that when Mike and I were talking about this, I'm like, oh yeah, the app is definitely way to go. So I would definitely recommend that as well if you haven't had a chance to play it. And I thought there was a free way to play maybe the first one or two missions as well. That's definitely how it used to be. I don't know if it's still that you way. You can play several missions for free, but you only have access to two characters without buying more. And if you spend that $15, you get all the characters plus all the first cycle, the Rise of the Rune Lords campaign, which is many, many, many missions. So it's actually a very good value. The only problem with the app really is it doesn't appear that they're supporting it anymore. They stopped at the end of that Rise of the Rune Lords campaign, at least as far as I can tell. So, you know, once you've gone through that, you, you know, you're pretty much done with the app unless you want to go back and replay it. But that said, it's an awful lot of material that's that's in that game. 
Cool. All right. Well, let's head over to our design discussion. And this one, we're going to talk about limits in leveling systems. So, Mike, this was your idea this week. Why don't you explain what we're talking about here? So I think I can kind of give the basic idea best through a video game role-playing game comparison. And this is going back to the discussion I had with Liz on role-playing games a few weeks back. But uh, it's kind of the classic difference between a JRPG and a Western RPG, at least in the beginning. So in initial JRPGs like uh, Dragon Quest and Lunar, you had an extremely limited leveling system. Like sometimes your character would get the exact same new skill or spell at the exact level no matter what. You had no choice whatsoever. Whereas in uh, early Western RPGs, you'd often have like some sort of skill-based system where you could just like randomly add skill points however you wanted and build your character the exact way you wanted. And uh, it gets to this kind of core dichotomy to the debate today, or the discussion, I should say, about um, sort of the freedom of choice versus maybe the greater feeling of uh, you know variety and consistency and theme in a character. Now, in board games, to kind of uh, exemplify the difference... I can go to two dungeon crawlers that I've played pretty recently. So one is uh, Madara that has been a big hit on Kickstarter recently. And that's a very open-ended leveling system. You can get uh, these talents from any class you want at basically any time. Now, they can become more expensive as you diversify, so it's not, like, entirely open-ended. But you could be, like, a sword fighter who also casts healing spells, who also casts offensive spells. You can really, like, do whatever you want. Compare that to Gloomhaven, the other big, huge uh, dungeon crawler that it sometimes gets compared to, and that's a very limited leveling system. You have your specific deck of cards for your class, basically your only choice when you level up, not counting the uh, like little things you mark off for your uh, attack deck, but basically your choice in terms of skills is option A or option B, and often it'll be very obvious which option best goes with what you've already done in the past. So that, that's sort of what we're looking at here. Like, uh, when, when should leveling systems be limited and, like, really specifically dictate what you can do for your character? What are the benefits of that? Versus when can leveling be open-ended, do whatever the heck you want, build the character the way you want, but do we lose something with that? Well, I think you'd very clearly lose something from the angle of the game designer, and that's the ability to easily balance subsequent adventures. So, you know, if you kind of have an open book on how people are going to level it makes it much more difficult to understand what that character's power is going to be or what that player's power is going to be when they proceed to the next campaign or next you know scenario or whatever whereas if you do more like the like you were saying the japanese rpg approach where you know levels are pretty much the same you can balance certain areas or activities or scenarios based on the level that you know solely on the level of the character that you expect to be in that area so I think from a game design perspective, it's a lot easier to have a limited leveling system than it would be to have an open one where you have to sort of playtest a whole bunch of different leveling options. Peter, what do you think overall? Well, just to tack on to what Jerry was saying, I think with an open leveling system, you almost have to make skills more generic and less combo-y than you would in a closed system. Because if you make them too combo-y, one of two things is going to happen. Either you're always just going to go for the combos, or, as Jerry said, the designer wasn't planning for certain combos, and they could get out of control. So if you make it too open with also having combos, then it's not really open at all. You've limited people's choices based on the first skill they've taken. Then they're probably going to take something that combos with it anyway. So it's going to still be limited 
even if it is wide open leveling system. And I mean, the way to balance it is you try to balance all of your skills. You know, not everything's going to be the same. We know that. Like, you know, even in the hands of two different players, the same skill is not going to act the same way. Some people are going to be really good at getting those skills to trigger, especially the more complicated ones. And some people are going to be less skilled at that. So even player skill determines the balance there. So it's not going to exactly be balanced no matter how you do it. But I think if you have fairly balanced skills across the board, you can probably get away with an open system, especially if there is not as much interaction between those skills. It's not like if I heal somebody, I get five money or whatever. And then, well, of course, I'm going to take healing skills if I take this five money skill as well. You know, if you do that, then you're limiting people's paths anyway. So, uh, I mean, I think you can do it. I just think your skills will have to be more generic and less combo-y if you do it. Or just know you're kind of limiting people anyway when you do that. So a big thing for me on the open leveling question, and this is a a personal thing. I think some gamers are going to side with me and some will go the other way. I think it can be both exciting to delve into a huge number of options and discover kind of like your own uh, combos in that. This sort of plays into the the deck building or deck constructing mentality of like a magic player where you want to kind of investigate your options and find the coolest thing in them. But for someone like me who prefers limits on those kind of things, I find it overwhelming and intimidating to have to dig through all these things or to introduce a game to a new player, especially a casual player, and have them dig through all these things and find what they want to do. And and I'll compare this a bit to, because uh, this is a debate we've had before, uh, Arkham Horror the card game versus Lord of the Rings the card game. Lord of the Rings lets you do almost whatever you want. You know, like you can have uh, heroes of all the same sphere. You can have heroes of different spheres. You can splash in cards that aren't shared by any sphere if you have cards that'll let you play them in some way. Whereas Arkham is increase, uh, is very limited in terms of deck building. This is clearly different than uh, than the leveling idea. But it's like you have to have cards of this class and maybe that class. I prefer the limitation, which is why I also prefer the limits and leveling because I don't want to deal with that much stuff. But I know that some people are going to feel too constrained and not feel like they can kind of, you know, flex their creative wings and show off their construction skills if uh, leveling is too limited. Another issue I'd bring up with uh, the sort of open leveling system is that not only is it more difficult than the designers, it can also be frustrating for the players. So if the player is, you know, going progressing through a campaign for the first time, sort of learning the game, it's possible that they choose leveling options that simply don't mesh or that end up making their character weaker. And if you're playing that in the, you know, in the context of a campaign, you might be, you know, three or four scenarios or missions in and realize that you've built your character wrong. And that can be a little bit frustrating because you don't want to necessarily go back and play the other games. You could always go back and just swap levels out and stuff, but that feels kind of like cheating to a degree. So there are some pitfalls associated with an open leveling system as well for the players. Yeah, I actually think Pathfinder Adventure Card Game, the new way they do it, is really good. And the old way they did it is similar. But as Mike said, you know, it was just a lot slower. But there are three different areas you can kind of level up in. And it forces you to level up somewhat evenly in those levels. So, you know, if you take one stat increase, the next thing you have to take is, you know, either your hand limit increase or one of these other upgrades that upgrades your written skills at the bottom of the card. So there's like three different subcategories you can go into and you have to tick them up evenly. And I think that's nice because that way it kind of prevents people from min-maxing. Because the one thing I find with min-maxing is you can kind of min-max yourself to the point where the game isn't fun anymore. 
where you just kind of blow through certain levels because you've made yourself so powerful at one specific thing, or you get into other situations where you're just not prepared for it. So for me, I like the way they kind of force you to diversify a little bit, even though it's a very limited set of options anyway, they limit it even more. And so for me, I kind of like how they make you make a more balanced character. What Peter said sort of leads into one of my ideal ways to do leveling. So first of all, I do tend to gravitate towards like class-based, limited cards. And, and the big reason is, as I mentioned in the beginning, I want to feel like my character is entirely unique in what they can do from somebody else. So with very open leveling systems, it annoys me that with a couple of levels, your character can have the exact same cool thing that I have. I like, uh, you know, like uh, how Gloomhaven or uh, Imperial Assault do it, where I've got my deck that does entirely unique things, and your deck cannot even touch it. And as Peter went into, uh, it lets you combo more. Like, if I'm the Necromancer in Descent, another game with limited leveling class system options, uh, you know, I can, like, raise skeletons, and all my skills relate to that skeleton I've raised, and nothing you do has anything to do even slightly with that. Like, I am an entirely unique thing unto myself. I very much like that about limited leveling. But the thing I was going to say is, um, if you're going to do open leveling, my major preferred way to do it, again, because of how I operate, because of liking limits, and also to address Jerry's first thing about balance concerns, is to have a draw of random options and still have a limited choice of which of those you take. Because that uh, prevents you from min-maxing the perfect thing every time. It prevents you uh, with Peter's problem of like always going for the specific combo because that's all that will really like work in an advanced way. So uh, games that do this well, uh, Spirit Island. You draw from the minor power deck or the major power deck, keep one of those cards. So you're going to level up differently every game. You're not going to pick the exact same stuff because that stuff isn't available anymore. It's going to force the game to have more variety. We're doing the exact same thing in our uh, dungeon crawler design right now where every time that you level up, you uh, draw two cards from your class deck, and you only pick one of them. So yes, you're seeing the same class cards. You get the uh, distinctiveness of your class. It's different from everybody else's class. But at the same time, you can't, if you play the game again with that exact same class, it's not going to level up the same way because you won't see the same cards. I'm all about variety in my games, and I, I really like that sort of system where... Uh, and another one that does well is Assault on Doom Rock. Draw a few random abilities force yourself to work with one of them. Maybe it's not the best combo, but you got to play creatively to get the most use out of it that you can anyway. Yeah, and one of my favorite leveling systems that has come out recently is Journeys of Middle-Earth. And I know I keep coming back to this game, but I really think they do it cleverly where you level up in your class how you want, but then in the middle of the campaign, you're allowed to switch classes. And then you'll start leveling up in that class. But you actually get to keep all your class upgrades that you got from your earlier class. So you can kind of experiment around a little bit, add a card from here, add a card from there, change your class in between missions, and you'll still have kind of cool upgrades that you've taken from other missions you've done. So I think that is a unique way of doing it. I hadn't seen it done like that before. I mean, it's very similar to, you know, multi-classing in D&D back in the day. But this way, you can even switch back and forth, you know, based on the mission. Hey, this one, I think I'm going to need more stealthiness. Let me go with that burglar role. The next one, I think I'm going to be more combat heavy. So I'm going to go with a more attacky style role. So I, I kind of like how it lets you pick and choose based on the mission, yet you still keep all the upgrades you've taken from your other classes as well. So I also think there's a, a third type of leveling that we haven't discussed yet, and that is I'm thinking of it more of as a, as a hybrid between the open and the sort of set path. 
So we've already talked about some examples of that. Journeys of Middle-earth does it. Gloomhaven does it. But essentially, that there are different leveling ladders that are available to you. So uh, using the Journeys in Middle-earth example, you gain experience points by successfully completing the missions or, or you know doing tasks towards the end of the mission. And those experience points can be translated into purchasing better cards. But they also have, I think it's called lore that you gain, and you essentially gain that by doing side quests. So it's a different, ent- entirely different way of gaining points towards that level. But those levels are used to upgrade your items. So Gloomhaven does something similar where, you know, if you've collected a bunch of gold, you can use the gold to buy upgrades. But you also have little mini missions within each scenario that result, if you accomplish that mission, you get little check marks. And those check marks provide you with a different way of upgrading your character. Those upgrades are fairly set in what you can do for each path, but the paths themselves are different in that you can choose which path you want to pursue or which type of upgrade you want to focus on as you go through the game. And I think that's a little bit of an interesting twist on like the limited leveling system. That's a really good point, and I think uh, having those kind of split leveling systems also lets you hit sort of the emotional experience of leveling in different ways. Because I think there is a, a different emotional effect of leveling that is consistent and predictable. Like I'm getting three experience every mission or uh, Imperial Assault using the co-op app. I'm going to get my next level up card after each mission no matter what. Versus the sort of less sure kind of exciting random draw of uh, item cards, for example. So to go back to Pathfinder Adventure Card Game that we just reviewed, they do a nice job of balancing those two types of leveling, and I think that's what makes it so addictive and fun for me. They have the consistent level up your character sheet after every game form of leveling. It's expected, it's fun, no matter how poorly or well I do in a mission, I'm always going to get it. And they mix that with the excitement of getting this crazy axe just by a random draw and making my deck really cool and interesting now. So yeah, I think you're right, Jerry, and... It's kind of different in Journeys in Middle-Earth, but the consistency of getting a new item, you know what your items are. You know at some point the lore is going to level them up. That's not too exciting, but it's cool to know you get stronger versus like the excitement of trying out new classes and grabbing this random new card and changing up your deck. Uh, yeah, I think the hybrid can be a really cool way to do it. See, now you're getting me thinking about playing Pathfinder again. And I'm going to I'm gonna look forward to it, and then I'm going to play it, and I'm going to remember how fiddly I think it is. <laughs> it's a vicious cycle, man. Yeah. I mean, it is funny that neither of you had leveling on your list, and that is now making you excited to play the game again. (laughs) I do think a lot of the best games get this right, and I think Gloomhaven, yeah, it has the three systems. It's got the checkmark system, which is kind of like side quests. It's got gold, which Jerry just loots from all of us every time because he's got a ranged character. I try. And all of us melee characters can never get any of the gold. And uh, then you also have the, you know, the normal level ups that you get just from progressing through a campaign. So I think a lot of the best games do that. You know, it didn't even occur to me as we were designing this. It's funny as a designer, you think back on design decisions. And I know, Mike, this was a little bit more in your mind, but Spare Parts, the game we're working on right now, the one we keep talking about has three leveling systems also, if you think about it that way. You know, you have your consistent upgrades you're going to get from your piloting skills, so every other mission you're getting new piloting skills. Then, based on the outcome of the mission, how well or poorly you do, you're going to level up your ship differently. And then the third system is parts. So every time you destroy robots, you get new parts that you can upgrade as well. So I'm sure you had a more consistent idea of that as, you know, different leveling systems. But for me, you know, we put it in the game. We did all this design work on it. Well, you know, I've been playing the game for a year and a half, two years working on this. And it never occurred to me that those were different ways of leveling up as you're playing. So 
I think sometimes you can luck into those things. Yeah, and I, I think part of the excitement of I find with that sort of hybrid system is that often trying to level on one particular ladder might be detrimental to the other. So to use spare parts as an example, if you focus on getting new parts for your mechs, you might be taking actions that are uh, less than optimal to completing that actual scenario with the best possible result. So you have to make a decision there. Do you want the cool thing for your mech now, or are you focused on successfully completing the mission? And I think trying to figure out, and that's a big deal in Gloomhaven too, If you do you want to focus on completing your little side quest, or are you just focused on successfully completing that scenario? And I think making that decision is interesting during the game. All right. So any final thoughts? I think we've covered a lot of different ways to do leveling. And I'll say personally, I don't think there's a right way. There's certainly ways that I prefer as a gamer, but I know for a fact, just from discussions I've had on the Slack, for example, that other people have entirely different opinions and preferences to me. No kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes, not everybody likes the min-max, Mike. We get that. (laughs) All right, Jerry, what are your uh, final thoughts? Any tips to designers? I just be careful with whatever leveling system you use that you've balanced the game for the subsequent scenarios because you know if your character is too weak or too powerful it really reduces the tension going forward. I'm going to give a piece of advice that I learned from playing too many bones which is don't make one path way more powerful than other paths especially if it's the most boring straightforward path cuz then people are going to tend to want to level that over and over and that's not the fun part of the game. Too Many Bones had all these cool skills, and nobody ever, well, I'm sure other people wanted to level them up, but we never did, because we realized how inferior they were to just leveling up your attack dice and defense dice. So, I would say, if you are going to have all these leveling up systems, make sure that one isn't so much more powerful than the others, that it is the obvious way to go, and especially if that thing is the least fun way of leveling in your game as well. Make the coolest options, the most fun options, the ones that are also more powerful so people will want to take them. No, no, I think, is that what you mean, Peter? Don't you make the most fun options a little bit weaker so that they're still, like, I don't know. No, man. Make the fun ones fun in multiple ways. Well, but, but that seems to go against what you're saying, because if it's the most fun and the most powerful, why would I ever take anything else? You don't want people to take the boring stuff. You don't well, want to have boring stuff. The boring stuff yeah. is my point. Like, why don't you design the game better so if there is no yeah, boring stuff? if it's boring, stuff. take it out. Yeah, like, like I mean, an example I think of that still frustrates me to this day is Mice and Mystics, where they had, like, a class-based system, but some cards were, like, so obviously better. And, and Peter did mention I'm a min-maxer, and not everyone is. But, you know, if you give me, like, a card that's three times as good as another one, I'm going to be like, man, I'm going to take it, and I'm going to be angry at you for making me take it. <laughs> so design your game better. Yeah, but you're cute little mice running around. I mean, it's got that going for it. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I, I don't dislike Mice and Mystics. I, specifically, the leveling frustrated me in a lot of ways. I think you guys are misunderstanding my example. What I'm trying to say is, if you have something boring, like a normal attack or defense skill then you don't want to make that the most powerful option. You want your cool skills to be the most powerful options. But I agree with you about Mice and Mystics too. Don't make one leveling path so much more powerful than anything else that it's just obvious when you take it. So I'm not saying to make the best skills, the more fun skills. I'm saying, yes, try to balance them as best you can, but certainly don't make the mistake of making the strongest thing in the game also the most boring thing in the game, which is just your basic leveling up. So that's our final advice. Take it for what it's worth. And uh, I think more words of caution than words of do this or that. I do think you can go any way you want with it. But there are definitely cautionary tales in, in any direction you decide to go. 
All right, everyone. Uh, Jerry, thanks for being on the podcast with us again. Always a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me. And thank you for joining us on another episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Thanks for listening to another episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Please check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop, where you can get great game playthroughs and five and five reviews. If you want to have a conversation with us, the best place to reach out to all of us is on the Slack channel. Links are in the show notes. You can also talk to us on Twitter at MVP Board Games or email us at MVPBoardGames at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us again, and we'll see you next week with another top five list. And that's the way you manipulate your deck and play kind of card combos and how the cards are manipulated within your uh, card piece of cheese, funky, chicken. There you go, Peter. Edit that out. Um, Or down. (laughs) (laughs) So, Mike, you were getting a little distorted on my end. That's okay. That's why we record separately. That's just a Skype thing. Okay. Yeah, it shouldn't be a problem. Yeah, yeah. Like sometimes I, I just, I'll just stop hearing Peter for ten seconds, and then I'll try to figure out what the bell he just said. Oh. <laughs> Sounded like you went all droid on me. I mean, I did. I, I, I was assimilated halfway during that, but you know. Oh, okay. The, the, the Borg want me to do the podcast too. <laughs> yeah, I especially like uh, the upgrades to your writing skills, so that you no longer use split infinitives and things like that. That's really the the key upgrade in Pathfinder. what (laughs) anyway (laughs) hey guys yeah guess what I'm not taking your bait what Peter ding I just leveled up yeah